immorality and brutality of the, of the culture demonstrated that hunger for the word. And in the middle of that century in Geneva, a young pastor named John Calvin began to faithfully teach through God's word. And St. Peter's Church began to go verse by verse through the scriptures. Teaching book after book, Calvin preached 200 sermons on the book of Deuteronomy, 353 sermons on the book of Isaiah. Don't anybody hassle me about long sermon series any longer. 353 just on Isaiah. Beauty is that over time, the living and active Word of God did what it does. By the power of the Spirit of God, the Word of God began to penetrate the culture in Geneva and other parts of Europe as the Reformation began to grow and the Word of God was being held out for people and they were reading it and hearing it. Calvin penned a motto, post tenebras lux, post tenebras lux, in after darkness, light. It was to describe what was being experienced in Geneva that after the the dominion of darkness had held the city for so long, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ being unleashed began to change the culture, began to bring the light of the gospel and the light of Christ breaking through centuries of darkness. In Geneva, there is a, a park with a Reformation monument, a tribute to some of the reformers, folks like Calvin and John Knox and Roger Williams, and it has those words. You can't really see it in this picture, but, but in large letters going across the whole length of that monument are those words, post tenebras lux. Became really a motto for the Reformation, after darkness, light. Last week, we started this series by looking at this idea of the domain of darkness, what Jesus and Paul and John had to say about humanity being held in the grip of darkness, the the evil rule of Satan, the power of Satan to, to promote evil, to cause hatred for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to cause people to reject Jesus Christ, All, apart from the the glorious teaching of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so we see this domain of darkness that despises the notion that a savior had to come and make atonement, had to give his own life in sacrifice because we are sinners under the wrath of God for our sin. And that's the only way of being saved, of being rescued, is by the work of Jesus Christ. This domain of darkness is real and it's why we as Grace Bible Church, and this is really where we emphasized last week, need to continue to grow as a place of refuge, as a place that those who come to faith in Jesus Christ, who are trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior, should find community, should find brothers and sisters who genuinely love them and exhort them and encourage them, and also a place of equipping, where they are helped to, to, from the Word of God to be able to withstand the onslaught of the world around us and to speak into that, that protecting role is and will be of continued great importance. But the church of Jesus Christ not only must be, in a protective sense, a refuge and a place of equipping for believers, but we also must be projecting his light into our community. We must be taking the gospel from out of here and and into the places where we work and live. Isaiah 59, verses 9 and 10 This description of the world, as Isaiah wrote it 2,700 years ago, says this, Justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. 
We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. That description rings just as true today. As Isaiah is looking out at, at Judah, in particular Jerusalem, and, and describing this terrible circumstance where justice and righteousness cannot be found and all is darkness, that circumstance is alive and well today. But then if you press forward just a few verses to Isaiah 60, verse 1, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. What changed? What takes us from the place where there is no justice and no righteousness, there is blindness and darkness where people are, are, even if they have a desire for answers, they don't seem to be able to find them. They just seem to be blinded. What takes us from the one to the other? What changed? We know. What changed was the coming of the long-awaited servant. It was the coming of the one who Isaiah prophesied would come, this warrior king who would come and give his life as a ransom and who would, by his death, break the power of sin and by his resurrection would break the power of death. As John 1.9 puts it, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John's opening statement to the coming of Jesus Christ being the true light coming into the world. Jesus declares that himself in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. We know from the context in John that Jesus said those words in Jerusalem, and it was during the, 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 the Feast of Tabernacles, the period of remembrance, the annual celebration, that looked back to when their ancestors lived in the wilderness in tents and in, in tabernacles and temporary housing, if you will, as they wandered in the wilderness awaiting to move into the promised land. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was to commemorate that time. Part of what happened during that period in time is God led them, as you know, by the pillar of cloud during the day and pillar of fire by night. He was leading his people, this glorious light that was showing them the direction. Well, one element of the Feast of Tabernacles then was on a night during the feast, they would actually light these four seven-story tall, enormous candelabras, oil-fed. They would light these as a way of symbolizing the pillar of fire at night. And historians tell us that when they lit these in one of the outer courts of the temple, that it was enough to illuminate nearly the whole city, that it was just this glorious light that shone around Jerusalem at night. And so the very next day, when Jesus declares, I am the light of the world, his audience has in mind this marvelous scene they have just seen the night before. And in a sense, what Jesus is saying, you think you've seen light. You think you've seen something shine that is bright, something that is magnificent. I'm here to tell you, you have not seen anything yet. I am the magnificent light that darkness cannot overcome. I am the light, not just of Jerusalem, but of the world. Jesus changed everything. He made the difference from the dark gloom of Isaiah 59, where there is no justice and righteousness or hope, to the light of Isaiah chapter 60 and the glorious dawning of his coming on creation. And so in culture after culture where the domain of darkness has ruled, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ has shined and has penetrated and has transformed people, has changed hearts, and has drawn people to that gospel. 
And with that saving work of Jesus Christ comes responsibility. Not only has the light come and rescued, but scripture also says those who are rescued are now called to be lights. We have been delivered from darkness, not simply to bask in his light, but also ourselves now to reflect his light, to remain still here amongst this darkness, but to now be that light. The Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is describing what life in his kingdom looks like for his followers. He says this in Matthew 5, 14 through 16 to his followers. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So you see the sort of sequence, if you will, here. The world is in darkness, and the true light, who is Jesus Christ, comes and proclaims rescue from sin, proclaims forgiveness of sins, And now those who are turning to him, his followers, to them, he says, you all are now light of the world. You are now commissioned to go out and be that light. There's a moment in which that should give us some sense of pause as to how we possibly fulfill what he is, that Jesus is the light of the world and now he's calling us to go and be that light. How, How is that even possible? One pastor illustrated it this way. He said, when Christ was in the world, he was a bit like the sun, which is here by day and gone at night, talking about Jesus's ascension into heaven. But when the sun goes down, the moon comes up and the moon is a picture of the church. It shines, but it does not shine by its own light. It shines because it reflects the light of the sun. It's exactly the message in Isaiah 60 verse one. We are to be shining, reflecting the the glory of our God. The the greatness and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our lives, our church, are to be that magnificent light that shows them Jesus. And so I want to think about this for just a few minutes. I want to just give you four biblical insights on us being light as we're called to be lights, and then bring that now to an application both for today and into the future for our church. The the first one is the most obvious one, and that's our our light is Jesus and all about Jesus. We've already been saying this to some extent, but just to be clear about it, when we talk about being light, we're not talking about our own humanity, our own being just good people and, and, and the lightness of our being somehow being that which draws people. Our light is Christ. We are reflecting his glory. 2 Corinthians 4, another one of those passages that speaks about the domain of darkness, says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan is not God. He's not saying necessarily here that Satan is a God because he's not divine, but he functions with a kind of ruling authority. It's exactly when Jesus is, is teaching and he calls Satan the ruler of this world. Satan has this authority that, that endeavors to keep people in the very state into which they are born, which is blindness, spiritual deadness, so that they do not see the light of the gospel. And that's where Satan tries his best to keep people. He wants them from seeing the light of Christ and the glory of the gospel. But 2 Corinthians 4 goes on to say this, having just spoken of this blindness, verse 5, 2 Corinthians 4, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 
For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See what Paul's saying there? He's writing back to the Corinthians, to a church that, that he had a part in planting, and he is not there. And part of what's happening is there are attacks on his teaching, and there are false teachers, and they are undermining the gospel by attacking Paul and saying, oh, Paul's just all about himself. Paul's just another false teacher who's out for gain, for material gain, and you best not follow him anymore. And Paul's response to that is an unequivocal, I don't preach myself. I'm not out here to sell you on me. It's not about me. I am here as a servant of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is Lord. And in fact, God said, let light shine out of darkness has shined out of our hearts. See what he's saying there is, look, he came in and, and he changed me, and he transformed the darkness that was my life, and now he shines forth from that. And I simply want you to see Christ. See his glory and his majesty, and that's what I want to reflect. And, and, and God has done the same for you and I if you are trusting in Christ. The, the light of the glory of the gospel has shone on your life and in your heart, and now out of that is to be proclaimed to others so that all we do is about Jesus. It's about helping others to see Jesus. Second thing, the New Testament instructions about being light are both individual and corporate. It's not just the individual light here, because in fact, when Jesus establishes this command in Matthew 5, 14, when he says, you are the light of the world, he uses second person plural. So to put it in our vernacular, you all are this, you together are this. So they are individually, certainly bearing the light of the gospel of Christ in them, but he is also saying this to his fathers, that, to, to his followers, that you are not just individuals, but you are also part of a community. You are also part of those who are gathered and who shine this light corporately. And so when you get to Ephesians 5.8, at one time you all, all were in darkness, but now you are light in the world. You all walk as children of light. Same construction in Philippians 2.15 where believers are described as children of God, living in the midst of a crooked and, and twisted generation, among whom you all shine as lights in the world. You may be thinking at some point during this, as we're, especially as we're talking about Jesus' words in Matthew 5, your mind, if you're old enough, is echoing back to that children's song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And there's that glorious picture of that little one with that little candle and that little light. And, and that's okay because that's, that, that's right. That's an apt illustration of Matthew 5.15 where he says you don't light the lamp to then put a basket over it and hide it. The light's out where it illuminates the whole house so that everyone can see. But these verses also emphasize the corporate nature of being light. It's not just this singular light, but it is also this community of believers who together hold forth the light. And these commands in the New Testament repeatedly speak to us as a community projecting the light of Jesus Christ into the community around us. So from here at Grace Bible Church, it may be a group that goes out on Sunday afternoon to an assisted living facility. 
and loves on the residents and proclaims the truth to them and, and, and sings songs that they enjoy that, that remind them of the greatness of God. Or it may be a group of people who go out from here and who walk through the area neighborhoods and, and encounter people and pray for them and pray for that neighborhood. Um, or, or it may be us as a church family opening up our grounds and, and hosting a festival in the fall to, to say to our community, hey, we're here and we want you to come here and find that we're, we're normal people, we're okay. Come close and see, and, and we actually have fun, and this is an okay place. All, all of those are ways that we, as a group, begin to shine the light of the glory of Christ, and as a church, we have a corporate responsibility to do so. Third thing, being light still means engaging with darkness, still means facing all of the challenges and pressures and temptations that come with that kind of engagement. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul is teaching, encouraging believers about the return of Christ. He's letting them know that Jesus is returning for you. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4, he says, You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day, that day of Christ's return, to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Now, pause there. Notice the, the corporate nature of what he's saying. Brothers, Together, you all, you are, we, we together are children. He's speaking of the community of believers, children of light, children of day. And then he says to these who are his brethren in verse six, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Let us. The, the warning there is, yes, Jesus is returning. Until he does, we remain in the midst of this world. And so let us corporately together uh, in, encounter the world as a body because the, the, the challenge of still being within the domain of darkness is we're still tempted to react to situations just like those in the darkness do. We're still tempted to forget about our Savior Jesus Christ and the fact that he's coming and think today is all that matters. We're still tempted to look just like the world but he calls us here corporately that, that we are to be that light. We are to 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 come together as we encounter the world and as we penetrate into the world, we are to do this also corporately that we might sort of, to, to use a more common vernacular, have each other's backs, help encourage each other and exhort one another going forward. In Ephesians 5.11, Paul wrote, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's again an acknowledgement that as believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to be surrounded by the domain of darkness and the unfruitful works of darkness are all around us and the temptation is to participate in those. And in fact, you, you could carry that forward to saying that we are, the, the world is constantly tempting, if not demanding us to conformity, to, to look like it, to think like the world, to act like the world, to believe like the world. And he's calling us here to not simply respond to that by just simply fleeing, but rather by, he says, exposing, that taking the light of the glory of God and helping people see the, the fruitlessness of their ways, the hopelessness of their ways, to help them to see that, that there is something better and that this isn't it, if you're trying to find it in whatever, whatever comfort you think it is here. So being light in the darkness will not be easy. That's why we press into this together. So the light is 
is Jesus. It's all about him. We're be individually and corporately, and it also means facing the temptations and pressures from the darkness. Number four, the last one is this. We are light by our words and our deeds. This is sort of the, how do we do this? It, it's, it's nice to say we are to be light, and called to be lights of the world, but, but what actually does that look like? How do, how do we function as lights? And Jesus leads us to understand that. First in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Your good works, right? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's saying your light is gonna be evidenced in your life. It's gonna be evidenced in your compassion for others that you act on and, and, and how you minister and serve others. If our lives are to be reflecting the fact that we believe in a savior who is loving and who is just and who is righteous, then when people see us in action, they shouldn't merely see people who they can say, well, those are, those are nice people, but they should see that there is something unique about our acting. There is something unique about what we're doing, that it actually is, is something beyond ourselves that is empowering and enabling us to love justice and mercy and, and, and to do what is right and true. They need to see that what we do and how we live is not because we're just really special, nice people. That's not the case. We understand that we are what we are by the grace of God. If we are impacting our community, it is because God is graciously working through us and empowering us. And they need to know that I am... I'm not just some really good neighbor or some really honest coworker. I am who I am because the grace of God rescued me from darkness and brought me into light. Amen. Our lives need to be accompanied by his truth so that they don't just see good deeds, but they also see what it is that forms those good deeds, and it's his grace. Philippians 2, 14 to 16, Paul says this, "'Do all things without grumbling or disputing.'" That you, isn't that great, that line? Do all things with it. I'm just going to pause there a second. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How many of us this morning have already? All right, let me read on. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. All right, think about this on a, on a really simple daily level. What could distinguish you as markedly, radically different from your culture? What could distinguish you more than refraining from grumbling or complaining? What could distinguish you more from the culture if you were to refuse to murmur about others or argue? Think about this. Paul wrote this. They, they didn't even have social media back in those days. We today, boy, if, if I think you did me wrong, I can now go to my followers on TikTok or Twitter or Facebook, and I can tell them what a terrible person you are and how you did me wrong, and the company you work for is horrible, and I can complain up and down. Today, with all the forms of communication we have, it is minute-by-minute minute argumentation. Our culture is just constantly arguing and dividing and being bitter against one another. And here now we've got the word of God saying, don't look like the world. The sign of a twisted and crooked generation is one that is 
constantly complaining and arguing. Shine like lights in the midst of an angry world. Stand out and be different and show compassion and show kindness and speak truth. I, I, I don't mean to sound, this is not doormat theology, just lay down and, and be sinned against. We are to speak truth. We are to advocate for righteousness and justice. But as a local church, we don't need to be constantly on the edge of angry about everything and, and picking up every little cultural debate unless we can do so as ambassadors of Christ. Unless we can do so in a way that demonstrates the goodness and righteousness of Christ and, and ultimately is aimed at not changing people's views on issues, but pointing them to Jesus and bringing them to his truth. Philippians 2 is, is really talking about how Christ should shine through my life as I deal with that that argumentative sibling or, or that arrogant coworker or that driver who just cuts you off and is now gesturing to let you know that you are number one. <laughs> we are to respond differently because of who we are and what he's done by his grace in us and how he's rescued us. If we're to be lights, our words and our deeds must show that. And that only happens because of his grace at, at work in us. Um, that's the thing we want for them to see most is Jesus. A as a local church, let me tie this back to, to us as a body. We need to strive to have this kind of impact on our community, to, to love the unlovely, to serve people who are in need, to take the truth of Jesus outside these doors and to the people around us. And yes, we don't need a bigger building to do that, but if our vision for being lights in this community is growing, then the elders believe that it's an opportunity for us to continue to grow to meet that need and to serve that need. Uh, the elder team has set this vision before you because we believe that Grace Bible Church is, is growing as a community that is shining its light before others, and, and we're seeing the fruit of that ministry grow as well. Let me give you an example of that. Would you watch the screens? The difference in my life is it's my, my life has meaning now. Before I was working Monday through Friday, working for the weekend. Even when I was an unbeliever, I was like, is this really life? Partying and then going back to work. But with grace, it's, I see that there's actual family here. We care about each other, we pray for each other, home grouping, fellowship together. We're, I mean, this is a very solid church. It's made a huge impact in my life, the life of my mother and my family. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's truly, I'm unusually blessed with this church. My name is Ricardo Cardenas. My kids, Noah and Bella, and I have been attending Grace Church for about four years now. When I first came to Grace, I liked the style of teaching, just kind of going in the Word, ripping it apart, sometimes going in the Greek. I love that stuff. That's my type of personality. The first person I met was Bob behind the desk, and he gave me his number. Three, day, three days later, we, we connected, and he showed me how I was completely wrong about the faith. My, my view on faith was works, which is not that. It's purely grace. Disciples making disciples has been a true statement in my life. The leadership training program has equipped me to be a leader and to my kids, to my fiance, and just to other men around me, and I'm grateful. That is Christianity being lived out. 
whatever problems I had back then, using God's truth to help solve solve them. It's, you know, Christian life is a spiritual warfare. And I was a private, and now maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a major now, I don't know. I'm not a general, but I would like to get in the trenches. These young men, especially in their early 20s, not really sure what's going on, and just help them, because I see myself in them, and I don't want them to make the same mistakes I did. So one of the reasons I give to grace is because I want to be obedient to what God says. And I recently just started giving last year because we talked about it in men's group and in home group. It kind of showed me that I could, yeah, I could give a little bit more. Instead of buying a protein bar every day, why don't I save a little bit of money and give it to the Lord? It's His first. He gets the first crop. Next couple of years with the Arise and Shine campaign, I would, I want to help the church as much as I can. I'm looking for an opportunity for the Lord to use me. When Ricardo, when Ricardo came here four years ago, um, he was lost in darkness. By God's grace, God was already in the, the, the work of drawing him to, to truth, um, helping him to see that, that where he was at was, was brokenness and, and helping him to see his need for something more. And, and Ricardo came for counseling week after week. And, and Bob and I would sit with him we would open the scriptures and we would talk through how the word of God speaks to his life and to where he was at and what God was calling him to. And I can still remember him coming the one week and saying, I got it, I see it. And, and the gospel had become clear and God by his work had gloriously saved him. Now here's the thing, his circumstances were still lousy. The, the things that brought him to want to find help were still going on in his life. There was still struggles and trials, and, and that all didn't just vanish. There was still pain. But God used the light of his word, as he promises to do by the power of his spirit, to change a man's heart so that now he could see where he was contributing to those problems and where God would give him grace in addressing the problems that were coming upon him from other people. He could now see that God's word provides hope and forgiveness and life. And, and that's what we want to do more of. That, that's why when we bring this vision to you, that's ultimately where it's, where it's pointing. We are training people to be biblical counselors for the intent of not only serving the body, but Lord willing, the ultimate goal is to say to the community around us that you have, you've experienced pain from addiction or depression or fear or sexual sin or a broken marriage or whatever it might be. And, and we actually think that we can give you a reason for hope. We actually think that that God's word has life-giving wisdom in it. And if you'll just come and you'll sit with us, we'll, we'll walk with you through the scriptures and show you that all is not lost. We're not asking for your money. We're just asking for your time and your willingness to, to sit under the ministry of the word of God. And, and we need space to do that. We need space to continue to expand that ministry. 
The aim is also to have a facility that we can use to project the love of Christ to our community. Not everybody knows, but a few years ago, just before COVID, the, the Lorton Fire Department came to us and said, we, uh, this was before they had the beautiful new building they do down the street, and they were in construction and said, we need a place to meet, we need a place to do training, can we use the church building? And we were like, absolutely. We're, we're happy to throw open the doors and put on the coffee and have you use it. And they did for a number of months until COVID came, and everything went online, of course, and that was the end of that, and they finished their new building. We, we can't meet every community request for space necessarily, but the ones we can, we want to be able to do so. We want to be able to say, yeah, this, this thing, is, this is a gift from God. It, it, it was handed to us by God's grace, and so we want you to use it, and we want to be able to serve you in this way. And, and so here is the love of Christ expressed, the light of Christ expressed in tangible ways. And, and then we just want to have more space to welcome people on Sunday mornings so that when the Ricardos of the world walk in with Noah and Isabella, we, we want them to know that there's not only room in here, but there's room in the children's ministry. And frankly, at the time when, when he first came about four years ago, some of, those, some of those classrooms were really, really crowded. But we just want to be able to say, come on in. We want to welcome you here. This is a safe place. And, and, and this is an opportunity for us to extend the love and the light of Christ. We are, we are not packed every Sunday, but it is happening. And we want to be able to welcome people, not just in the present. That's not Easter, by the way. This was a month or two before that, in case you're thinking we're pulling Easter pictures to look crowded there. <laughs> we want to be a place that for this generation, but even more importantly, for the generations to come, is able to do exactly this kind of work. We, as, as we've been thinking about this and as the elders have pondered this and we've shared this in a lot of the home groups, I think the thing that continues to stand out to me is we stand on the shoulders of people who were committed to being the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who bought property, who took out mortgages, who, who went through all that they went through to establish a place in, in, in Lorton, of all places, back in 1980, 1985 when they built this, and to establish something that we get to enjoy today and we stand on their shoulders. And so the call today is now for us to be the ones, to, to lay that foundation for the future, to be that place that will continue to be a refuge for believers and that will continue to be a, a place that penetrates the darkness. Bob mentioned it to you earlier, you got them last week, the communication cards that, that we're asking you to take, and, and what we're really asking of you is to pray about it. It, it. This card is given to you with one simple request, and that is, will you pray and ask God to lead you as to what parts you might have in this and to provide for you to do so? That, that's really what we're asking you to do over these coming weeks. It's a simple request to pray for God to help you think about a vision that we think is not just for today, but is for children and grandchildren as well. I'll close with 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Let's pray. 1 Peter 2.9, Lord, reminds us of the incredible privilege that we have, those here who are trusting in Jesus Christ, that you would set us apart as a chosen people and a royal priesthood and a, a people set apart for you. Lord, we, 
we are entirely undeserving. It's not something that we have earned. It's something that you have bestowed on us by your grace. And so what a, what a joy it is when we see in that verse the, the so that, so that you who are called out of darkness might, might declare, might show his glorious light. Lord, I pray first this morning for anybody listening here or watching online who is saying, I'm, I'm not sure yet that I understand this Jesus Christ as the light of the world. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see, open their eyes today to see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, taking on flesh, living on this earth a sinless life, no fault, no blemish, and then giving up his own life on the cross in brutal sacrifice, being put to death because he's bearing our sins, because our evil is on him. All that we have done that deserves your wrath and your judgment was put on Christ and in him was punished so that we might be set free. We might be given life and forgiveness. Lord, to all who profess that, who believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he died in our place and rose again, and that he is Lord. There is life. And for we who are trusting, then Lord, I pray that you would grow us as a church that would see the darkness around us and would not shirk back from it, but would pray for more grace and more power and more clarity in our speaking and our living so that we might show and speak Christ to the community around us. Give us as a church, expand our vision for outreach, for how we do the the work of ministry to the community around us. Give us opportunities to serve and to help. And Lord, may we, in all of that, be demonstrating that we are merely being the hands and feet of one who is far greater, one who is the Savior, who is the true light of the world. And in whose name we pray, amen.